praise the Lord. The Lord has orchestrated every part of this service. And He wants to speak to us now. This message is titled, Your Choice. Your Choice. Now, when I was a child, there was a, a type of story, a type of book called A Choose Your Own Adventure. And basically, it was a story that gave you choices. And the story changed depending on what choice you made. So, for example, um, part of the story might get to a part where you... Uh, Get, uh, meet a, a long-lost um, distant relative and they come towards you with their arms open wanting to embrace you. So you've got a choice to make at that point. If you choose to embrace them, you turn to page 64 and continue the story there. If you choose to run screaming from the building, you go to page 128. If you choose to pull out a gun and threaten or want them to keep back, then that's another choice and you uh, go to page 75. And so depending on what choice you make, the story changes. The, the, the ending of the story and, and the path that you take through um, this story changes depending on what choice you make. If you choose to run screaming, you might run in front of a truck and die. If you choose to embrace, um, your long-lost relative might be a sumo wrestler and crush your ribs. And the rest of the, the story, the choices you make might be um, fighting for your life in hospital. If you choose to pull out the gun and warn them to keep back, the rest of the story, the choices you make might be running from the police for the rest of the story. So there are choices you make, and each time you get to a choice you make, a different choice, you're faced with the same situation, but you've got all different choices to make. And depending on what choice you make, the path is different. The results are different. And so in the Bible, there was a time when God had led his children to the promised land. And there was a time for them to go and see this land that God had brought them to. If I could get you all to turn to Numbers chapter 13, and we'll start from verse 17. So Numbers chapter 13, and starting from verse 17. So it names, well before this, it names the, all the names of the spies from the, the 12 tribes of Israel. And in verse 17 it says, And Moses sent them out, will send them to spy out the land of Canaan, and said unto them, Get you up this way southward and go up into the mountain, and see the land, what it is, and the people that dwelleth therein, where, whether they be strong or weak, few or many, and what the land is that they dwell in, whether it be good or bad, and what cities they be that they dwell in, whether in tents or in strongholds. And what the land is, whether it be fat or lean, whether there be wood therein or not. And be you of good courage and bring of the fruit of the land. Now was the time, now the time was the time of the first ripe grapes. So Moses gave them specific instructions what to look for, what they needed to find out of this land that they were going to go into. And he asked for a report. In Numbers 13.21 it says, So they went up and searched the land from the wilderness of Zin unto Rehob as men come to Hamath. And they ascended by the south and came unto Hebron, where Ahiman, Sheshai, and Talmai, the children of Anak, were. Now Hebron was built seven years before Zion in Egypt. 
And they came unto the brook of Eshcol and cut down from thence a branch with one cluster of grapes and they bare it between two upon a staff. And they brought of the pomegranates and of the figs. The place was called the brook Eshcol because of the cluster of grapes which the children of Israel cut down from thence. And they returned from searching the land after 40 days. So this wasn't just a quick in and out and say, oh, yep, that's there, that's there. But they actually took time. They did it properly. They went everywhere. They spied out the land. They looked everywhere. And now they came back and it was time to bring their report. And they went and came to Moses and to Aaron and to all the congregation of the children of Israel unto the wilderness of Paran to Kadesh and brought back word unto them and unto all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him and said, We came unto the land whither thou sentest us, and surely it floweth with milk and honey, and this is the fruit of it. And they showed the grapes that they had brought. Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land, and the cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, and the Hittites, and the Jebusites, and the Amorites, all um, old enemies of the Israelites, dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men that went up with him said, We be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof, their cannibals. And the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers. And so we were in their sight. It's easy to think that verses 28 and 29 are part of the evil report that was brought up. 28 and 29 are, Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land, and the cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, and the Hittites, and the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. This looks like an evil report. This looks like problems and situations that are difficult to overcome. But up to that point, and even at that point, all 12 spies were in agreement. These were the facts that they had seen. They saw all of these things. This is a true report of what they had seen. It was only after they had reported these things that Moses had asked them to do in the first place that their responses differed. See, Israel obviously thought that verses 28 and 29 were a bad report because Caleb had to still the people in verse 30. There was a lot of murmuring and discussion going on after the official report had been given. But from the same situation, from the same official report, Caleb and Joshua brought a good report from that. From the same situation, from the same facts, we can do it through God. And the other ten spies brought an evil report, saying the situation is too great for us. We can't do anything about it. If we go in, we're going to die. Joshua and Caleb's responses to the situation were very different to the other ten spies. The responses of Joshua and Caleb were the complete polar opposite to the other ten spies. The difference in their responses was like night and day. One saying we can do it, the other saying we can't. How is it that people can see the exact same things, experience the exact same things, but have different, completely different viewpoints afterwards? How is it 
that some people see the same things, but they, their perspectives are completely different. One of my favorite stories of World War II, of that era, is not a story about all of the action and the fighting and, and all of the men that went through it, although there's some of that in this story, but it's about a man who, while well, he was just a youth when the story first started, he was a, a reckless young youth. He was uh, quite a stubborn nature, and he was learning to fly. And this man learned to fly, and he was doing well. Um, he, was, he was an excellent flyer, a natural flyer. And, but his recklessness and in his youth, he decided to do a stunt um, close to the ground, low-flying, and he crashed the plane. As a result, he went to hospital and um, he lost both his legs. And one leg completely gone, the other was amputated just beneath the knee. And so he was there in the hospital and he was fighting for his life and he was actually starting to die. And he heard a, a nurse, he, he, was, he was feeling his, his spirit lifting off his body and he was feeling a peace. And he heard someone from out in the hallway, a nurse saying, shh, please be quiet, there's a man dying in there. And he heard that and he realized that they were talking about him. And that gave him the willpower and, and he had the stubbornness and the willpower to fight that and to come through and survive but he still had lost both of his legs. He had to come to terms to deal with that. For those of you that may know it, the name, man, the name of the man is Douglas Bader. He kept... He refused to let his disability stop him from living a normal life. Now, you can't just go down to uh, the hospital or the store and get prosthetic limbs back in those days. There were just really one manufacturer that actually dealt in that. There were pioneers. They were, uh, they were working out everything as they went. The legs were made of tin, and, and uh, there was just nothing there. And so these guys made a special pair of legs for this man. He was told that he'd never be able to walk again, that he'd be in a wheelchair for the rest of his life. But through sheer stubbornness, he refused to believe that. He got them to make him a pair of legs that it was possible to walk with. And so he forced himself to, to learn to walk again, completely different way. And he, he practiced day after day after day until his stumps became bloodied, until, um, until there was just so much pain and agony. But he forced himself to keep going. He kept falling down again and again and again and again. And he kept getting back up. He refused to let his situation determine his outcome in life. He just kept going forward and he learned how to walk. He had a way that he was able to walk. Um, he called it a dot and carry. It was basically a, a shuffle that he had to do. And he was able to, to build enough momentum to kick his, his non-leg forward. And he was able to stumble forward. And he became so good at it, it became such a natural reaction that it just looked like he was normally walking after a long time. He 
wanted to fly again. And the war came. And he saw this as his opportunity to get in a plane to serve his country and to fly again. They just kept knocking him back until finally they, they desperately needed pilots and they, they gave him a chance. And he went through the schooling and he went through the, the physical test and uh, said that he was more or less literally, literally flying by the seat of his pants and, uh, because he didn't have the legs that you would normally need to, to steer the rudders. And so he went up and the flight instructor eventually went up and he, he went and did everything that they asked him to and, and came down and, and made a very good landing. And there was a, basically, um, there was a score out of 10 that they gave for people. And the, the official word, well, not the official word, but the way they graded, normally the highest that they ever gave was 9. Because, well, I, I don't know, they, they figured that no one could fly perfectly, I guess. But after this, the instructor gave him a perfect 10. And he was probably the only one who had ever received that perfect 10. And so they eventually led him into the Air Force. He went, flying. He was involved in the Battle of Britain. He was involved in the, the war after that. He went up and flew again and again and, 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 and just uh, had many kills and, and did many great things in the air because of his stubbornness to let man dictate, to let what people would say, to let his circumstances rule what he, um, what he could do. He was shot down over enemy lines and he became a prisoner of war. But once again, he refused to let his situation stop him from doing what his duty was to do, and that was to um, escape. And so he just kept trying to escape and escape, and eventually he was put into one of the maximum security prisons because of his stubbornness and his refusal to, to uh, give up on doing what he was meant to be doing. And uh, he... he um, uh, there, there were times when uh, he, they were digging a hole and he carried um, bags um, of sand in his tin legs, which must have, have really hurt him. Um, and he, he walked down the, the hill and, and emptied them out as they were doing gardening down there. He did all that he could to help the, the people escape, to help the effort of the war. And at the, at the end of the war... Just right near the end where the Allies were sweeping through Germany and the POWs were, um, were released, he um, was basically running to try to get back in the air again and serve his country again via, um, via being a pilot. He was determined to be normal, even though he had a completely disabling um, condition, a disability that would have left others just broken messes and, and in depression for the rest of their lives. But this was one man who decided that nothing was going to stop him from continuing to walk on and continuing to live a normal life. They even made him dancing um, legs that he could dance in. And he, um, he dated a lady and, and he married her. This was before he went to the war. And so he refused to let his circumstances dictate what he could and what he couldn't do to dictate to him the attitudes that he should have and the responses that he should have to the situation. Do you think that Douglas Bader was the only person to lose both his legs in that era? But definitely not. There were many others who lost their legs. The, 
the hospital system, the medical system wasn't like it is today. Doctors were able to save limbs and, and legs that would have been impossible back in those days. There were many times where people lost their legs in crashes and accidents, but we don't hear of these other people. They don't get their names splashed in lights. They don't get books written about them. Why is that? Because most people in the same situation would have been swallowed up in self-pity or died from their injuries. They would have succumbed to what the world said that they could do or how they should feel. But every now and again, someone makes the choice that nothing is going to stop them from doing everything normally again. Somebody makes the choice to rise above their situation or their circumstances and refuses to stop until they get to where they are aiming. And that provides the necessary proof that you don't have to be dictated to by your environment or by the bad experiences that you go through. Because someone else has already been there and made a choice not to succumb to the feelings of despair and loneliness. They make a choice and stick to it, no matter how hard or what circumstances are thrown at them. In the Bible, we have well, one story that comes to mind um, immediately, the story of Joseph. Joseph is a man who was given promises, dreams from God about the things that, that he would do and the situations that was going to happen to him, but his brothers hated him for it. They sold him into slavery. They threw him into a pit. They sold him into slavery. And when he got to the slave's house, he was unjustly accused by, by the, the man of the house that he was in, and he got thrown into prison. In the prison, um, he in, interpreted dreams for a couple of men, and they forgot about him when they got out. Well, one died, um, so... It was a bit difficult for him to remember. But the, other one, <laughs> but the other one forgot about him when he was restored as the prophecy, as the dream had um, been told. And so eventually Joseph got to where he was going. But we don't hear that he gave up. We don't hear that he, he gave up with God. Now, with the story of Joseph, we don't really hear much of Joseph's feelings or his attitude or his outlook to life. With Moses, we, we hear him go back again and again to God saying, Lord, please don't destroy the children of Israel. And he was pleading with God. We saw the heart of Moses. We don't really see that with Joseph. We, we don't hear about his pain. We don't hear about the things that he went through and the despair that he might have got into. But he still kept his faith through everything. He still trusted in God. He still kept his course, even through the circumstances that were thrown to him at his life, by his life. We aren't defined by our situations, our circumstances, our trials, or our tribulations. I'll say that again. We aren't defined by our situations, our circumstances, our trials, or our tribulations. None of us can say, because of that, I'm like this. There isn't a cause and an effect in how we respond to our situations, between our situations and how we respond to them. There is no set path that we have to follow based on what we've gone through. We make choices every day whether to have the same attitude as before or to change it. Even deciding to have the same attitude or viewpoint is a choice. We make the choice to wallow in our self-pity, to be the same way that we have been for many, many years. 
See, maybe you've gone through a horrible situation and you feel entitled to have a bad attitude about it. Maybe the people you meet in the world also agree that you should have that same attitude. They might think it's justified that there's a cause and effect that you're quite entitled to have that attitude, that response to that situation because of the hurt and the pain that it has caused you. But you always have a choice, just like Joshua and Caleb. You can choose to trust in Jesus and let him help you to change. In 2 Corinthians 3:17 and 18, it says, Now the Lord is that spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty or freedom. But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the spirit of the Lord. Does that sound like a bad thing or a horrible thing? It's not. We are changed to be like him, to be like our creator, to be like the one who is... Is, has all of the, the best attributes that we could ever have. God is the only one that is perfect. And as we look to Him and as we trust in Him, He will give us liberty. He will give us freedom as we change to be more like Him, as we change. But it is our choice. It's often been said that God is a gentleman. He will never force you to give up your hurts, your pain, your attitudes to being wronged in the past. But if you choose to give them to him, then he can change anything and everything about the way that we deal with the situation, with our response, with the way that we feel. It takes a surrender of ourselves. We won't get there by holding on to what we've held on to. It takes a complete surrender. When you're full of self-pity or anger or bitterness or hate, it can actually feel good to stay there and wallow. I know. I've been there. (laughs) I've done that. We've got an amen in the house. But if you make a choice to allow Jesus to make you something and someone better, then you won't be able to believe the peace, the joy and the love that will come into your heart. Douglas Bader made a stubborn choice to raise himself above his situation and live life normally and fully no matter what life threw at him. And he didn't have a relationship with God. He didn't have God living inside of him like everyone who was filled with the Holy Ghost. Imagine how much more we can rise above our situations with Jesus himself helping us no matter how horrifically bad our situations might have been or might be right now in the present. I'm not trying to belittle anything you may have gone through. Don't get me wrong. I know that there are many of us who have had life-destroying and soul-destroying experiences that have left us scarred. But Jesus came to heal those scars. In Isaiah 53 and verse 3, 4 and 5, it says, He is despised and rejected of men, talking about Jesus, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Jesus went there. He's been there. He's done that. 
He's been through the hurt of, of total rejection. He's been through the pain of people beating him and, and taking his life from him. But he kept his course. He kept going, doing what he knew he had to do. He didn't let that turn him to the right hand or to the left. He just kept going on the path. And with his stripes, we are healed. He brings the healing to us for anything that we're going through, through the scars that are on our hearts. You don't have to be a victim of your circumstances. Jesus has more power than that. In John 16:33, it says, These things I have spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Jesus has overcome all the world that could ever throw at you and emerge victorious. You can choose to overcome the world's tribulation with Jesus' help. He already has the victory. So how could you lose? You've got Jesus on your side. But it takes a surrender of our sometimes subconscious desire to stay trapped in our state of victimization. If you want to be hurt, bitter, and angry at everybody and everything, then go ahead. Jesus isn't going to force you to change. He's a perfect gentleman. But if you're sick of the self-pity, the anger, the hurt, the pain, the bitterness, then Jesus wants to take it all away and replace it with his love, his joy, and his peace, even tonight. But it's your choice. You don't have to stay the way you are. Don't let Satan, the world, your friends, your personality, or the psychologist tell you otherwise. Jesus offers perfect help and healing to all those who choose to surrender their hurts and their pain to him. Yes, it's difficult and it's uncomfortable at first, especially if you've been harboring these feelings for many years. But wouldn't it be fantastic to be finally free again? To have a peace inside you where there was only pain. To have a love inside you where there was only hurt. To have a joy inside of you instead of bitterness. If you think about this for even a little bit, the choice is obvious. But you still have to make it. If you choose to do nothing or to hold off, you're making a choice to stay the same way as you've been for so long. Why don't you make the choice to be free? Jesus' power isn't limited to just saving people. Jesus' blood isn't limited to just taking away our sins. Jesus has an unlimited ability to take away anything bad in your life and replace it with something infinitely better. But we have to choose him over ourselves. Please, choose to allow Jesus to take it all away. If I could get someone to the organ, please. There's an old song that we sing called He Touched Me. And it goes like this. Shackled by a heavy burden. Neath a load of guilt and shame. Then the hand of Jesus touched me. And I am no longer the same. He touched me. Oh yes, he touched me. And all the joy that floods my soul. Something happened. And now I know. He touched me. And made me whole. Wouldn't you like to be made whole? To make complete to me made brand new again tonight.
Why don't you choose Jesus? Why don't you choose Jesus? Just like the story where you get to make a choice. You're in the same situation as other people. And some have chosen to choose Jesus. Some have chosen to have their hurts and their pain healed. And their life story is different as a result. But some will choose to wallow in their self-pity. Some will choose to stay the way that they have always. And they miss out on life. They miss out on everything that God has to offer them. Would you all stand with me this evening?